just the sheer amount of time certain elements can take, like how time consuming managing a hundred speakers is. Um, you don't really get a sense until it's like visceral, like, oh, I have 85 emails in my inbox right now that I need to get to today. <laughs> um, and realizing like, shit, I need someone to help me with this or like, this is going to be like the fire fest of, of SAS. That's Danielle Messler, the head of marketing over at FounderPath. And she's talking about an event that she recently produced called SAS Open, which was held in New York. I was very lucky to be invited to go out and speak at SAS Open. And I was just struck by how well polished it was of an event. The speakers were fantastic, the content was top-notch, and most importantly, the catering could not be faulted. And I was amazed because this event was really put on by a skeleton crew. It was Danielle, her team over at Founder Path, including Nathan Lacker, the founder and CEO, and a handful of freelancers. And when I learned this, I had to get Danielle on the podcast because I'm fascinated in this idea of putting on brand-owned events as a means of connecting with your target buyers. So I wanted to ask her on behalf of other B2B marketers considering putting on their own events, how do you make a 500-person conference a success? How do you convince people to show up? And how do you get through it without pulling your hair out? Here's our answers. Here we go. Modern marketing advice for complex businesses. This is B2B Better. So a bit of background on SaaS Open. As I mentioned, it was a two-day event hosted in New York, and it was really designed to bring the SaaS community together. Over 500 attendees came to see 100 speakers across marketing and sales, product and engineering, finance and ops, and also founders talk about the trials and tribulations of building out a profitable and successful SaaS company. On the surface, like a beautiful English swan gliding across a still and quiet lake, everything in terms of the logistics and the organization looked calm, peaceful, serene. But I know, speaking to Danielle, the executive producer, things were a little bit more fast-paced underneath the surface. Events still make up a fundamental part of the majority of B2B marketing strategies, and more and more brands are opting to invest in running their own rather than spending six, seven figures on uh, hiring out booth space at a trade show or a conference. So figuring out ways to make that process easier on yourself is really important. What are some of the shortcuts that we can take as newly minted event producers to ensure that we are attracting attendees, that we are putting on a good show, and that we are ultimately delivering on our core business metrics? I asked Danielle, first question, what is the most important factor in producing your own event? Here's what she said. Number one, I would say, is defining the content and format and being really ruthless about protecting it. Um, 
for us, we have a specific content format that works for us. Um, you went through the process, you know how it is. They're very like 20 minute, like TEDx style value packed. Um, and they're designed that way for a reason. It's, you know, 20 minutes is about how long people can listen to something and stay engaged and actually remember what's being said. It helps um, kind of push the day along a bit too. Um, and prevents a lot of the like fluffier parts of speeches where, you know, someone spends like, if you only have 20 minutes, you can't spend 10 minutes talking about yourself and, you know, the newspaper you read in 1994 that made you want to be a marketer or whatever. <laughs> Some of those stories. Um, and we were like pretty ruthless about the content. Um, we've like rejected some speakers. We had some speakers last minute that we were just like, all right, this is just not what we want to present to people and we have to protect the stage at all costs. Like we're not having, we like the website says no boring keynotes for a reason. Here's the thing. B2B buyers are bombarded with content. The majority of it is coming straight at them at their office desk. So convincing them to not only leave the comfort of their home or their office to go to an event, but also to pay for the privilege of doing that is a really tall order. And if you don't implicitly and ideally explicitly promise to hold an incredibly high bar when it comes to the quality of programming that you are going to put on, you are going to find it incredibly difficult to persuade a buyer to take the leap. Now remember, this isn't just about finding high quality guests, but also ensuring that guests understand what is expected of them. And that's not always easy. It's funny because we've had speakers that were like, ugh, that was like so annoying to go through. But then when I got to the conference and like saw the results, they're like, oh, I get it. Like I get why you do it this way, even though like there's a couple of steps and it might be a little annoying um, to go through for the first time. It I, I've also found it helps because the speakers that we're targeting are like really practitioners. They're not always the people that do this, you know, multiple times a year. It helps um it helps them design a talk it gives them kind of like the the structure and guidelines versus like oh what am i going to talk about how am i going to structure it what am i going to do um for these kind of like first second time speakers that are like really just ceos getting up there and telling their story so found a path did something really clever here because they insisted on a high bar of quality when it came to the programming and they shifted some of that expectation or that burden onto the speakers themselves. You need to fit into our format if you want to come up on stage. But it wasn't just a command backed up with no substance. They actually offered design services. Here's the template that we want you to use. Drop in the key points and the copy that you want to uh, you want to talk about while you're at the event, send it back to us and our designers will take a look at it and remove that part of the workflow off of your plate. Here's Danielle's thoughts around that. We were trying to eliminate friction where we could and also like streamline the end result too. Cause like no one in the audience wants to look at like a horribly designed slide. And that's not a knock on anyone designing slides. Like that's actually kind of hard to, you know, do design and put placement in. So we have a couple of designers we work with from like Upwork and Fiverr that we just have like, once it's, you know, finalized by the speaker, they do like a, a run through and just like clean it up and like change font sizes and move things around. Um, and I, I think it's kind of a, 
a burden off of the speakers as well to make it look like perfect. It's like, you guys do the content, we'll handle the design um, and get like a really nice final product for everyone. Next up, we're gonna hear from Danielle on how she and FounderPath managed to sell the first handful of tickets for SaaS Open. But before that, a quick message from me on something I'm working on. When it comes to generating long-term revenue for a B2B business, there are a few content formats better than a podcast. In fact, one of my clients recently secured over 3 million pounds in qualified pipeline off the back of their own branded show. Enough companies have reached out to me over the last couple of months, having listened to B2B better, looking for help in launching their own branded podcasts, that I'm developing a package service that will help them create, produce, and distribute their own in under eight weeks. It will include full end-to-end support, ideation, artwork, guest booking, script writing, editing, distribution, even hosting if it's needed. So if you're interested in taking part in that initial pilot, or you're curious to know whether a podcast makes sense for your business, you can drop me an email at jason at b2b-better.com, or you can hit the Calendly link in the description of this episode. Thanks. One of the key things we did to build momentum was we actually sold tickets to SAS Open at our event in Austin in September. It was like the cheapest they would ever be. And it was all the people already in the room having a good time because we did uh, another conference in Austin in September of last year called Founder 500 um, that we had, I think, like two or three people in the room, maybe 200, I think it was about that. Um, and the majority of them bought tickets and then were already coming and bought in and we had some people buy it for their whole team. So that gave us a really, really solid foundation to build on. Um, so I would say like first, like generate that initial wave of momentum. So you're not just like trickling, waiting for tickets to come in because it, it just felt a little more solid when we were like, all right, we have 65 tickets already sold. Um, you know, these people are going to come or at least they've paid to come. So <laughs> that was that was a key piece for us. What Danielle's talking about here is how do we mitigate risk? How can we use the other channels that we already own to start building up the list of attendees to our event? well in advance of the event itself. So that could be leveraging a newsletter list. That could be promoting the event on live webinars that you host. It could be having executives post about it on their social media channels. And this does two things. One, it starts building up hype early. But two, it also gives you the confidence that people are going to turn up. People are going to show up at your birthday party, so to speak. As an event organizer, I would be asking myself, what is the maximum number of registrants that I can acquire against the minimum amount of committed spend I have to put forward to lock in the venue, lock in the catering, what have you? The best case scenario is that you set up a wait list for an event and you manage to hit a minimum threshold of registrants before you sign a check for anything. 
And that way, if you are taking registration fees in advance, but you don't hit that threshold, you're in a position where you can just refund the money and say, look, it didn't work out this time, but we've got great plans for the future. Now, B2B Better is all about helping organizations build out marketing strategies from the ground up. And that comes with the expectation that in terms of resources and personnel, it's likely going to be minimal at first bat. When it comes to SaaS Open, I said it right up at the top of this episode, this massive 500-person event was pulled off on a skeletal crew. And I really mean that. There was Danielle, there was her team at FounderPath. It's a very lean operation in regards to personnel and a handful of freelancers. So I wanted to get Danielle's sense on how did she figure out exactly what resources that she needed and how did she strike that balance between leveraging internal resources and looking outside of the company. Here's where she suggests that you start. Leverage resources that you have already and then advocate for the ones that you're going to need to make this a success. So I was like, I think technically we said like general manager of the conference, Nathan is executive chairman. Um, and then we obviously had our founder path team internally, but I mean, they all, we all have job functions to do, you know, we have our sales team closing deals and our engineering teams, you know, actually building updates to the product and things like that. Um, so there was kind of a, a couple key people I brought on to help with this. Um, one being a resource that I identified I needed was uh, kind of like speaker management and content like production. So we built the system for speakers. We built, you know, the way that we run through things. We have a whole like playbook. So it was pretty easy to like get someone on board and hand off and running that. And then internally uh, for planning the dinners, I was originally like going to do that all on my own, which is insane (laughs) Um, because we hosted we hosted five dinners um, with different partners things like that and then there were a number of kind of like auxiliary events where other people wanted to host dinners and we put them on the website and things like that Um, but that was one where I was like all right I know I need help and what resources do we have you know available and it's like my colleague Chris he's the head of community and ecosystem and I was like, would you be like willing to help out with these dinners? And it ended up being like a perfect fit because he's building all these partnerships with the some of the dinners we were hosting, like Dan Martell, he had a dinner. Um, so it ended up being a, a really good like use of that resource because it was his like played to his strengths. He had an excuse to, you know, get more involved in the community, invite all of these people in. Um, and that was another like huge help. So definitely a small team. So if you are like thinking of doing this, you want to kind of identify those resources that A, you'll either have or need ahead of time, like as fast as possible and get them in place and get them up and running because you will need them. So what have we covered so far? We've talked about protecting the content at all costs. We've shared some wisdom on how do you acquire your first registrants. And we've also talked about how do you strike that balance between leveraging your internal resources and finding external freelancers. The next thing that I wanted to talk about was let's now imagine the event is happening. We're there, we're in the room and everyone is here. What is the secret sauce? What is some of that magic dust that we can sprinkle on the event to make it something that people 
remember. Of course, the content's important. Of course, facilitating networking opportunities is critical. But what are those little bits and pieces that people are going to post about on social media and say, this event went from good to great because this happened? Danielle shared a great story about a hotel based in Los Angeles, which surprisingly acted as the guiding ethos for the SAS Open event. Here she is. There's um, this hotel in LA, and I'm obviously blanking on the name now. I looked it up. It's called the Magic Castle. But it's not like one of the most famous ones in Los Angeles. It's But it's consistently at the top of like TripAdvisor, Google, all of this stuff, because of this one thing that stands out in all the reviews is that they have this beautiful pool and they have like a hot red phone that's like the popsicle hotline and you pick up the phone and they say hello popsicle hotline which flavor would you like and you get to choose from all their flavors and then someone comes out like a waiter in like full tux with like this popsicle on like a silver platter and he opens it for you and it's in like almost every single review you look at for this place because it sticks out in someone's mind as being really like unexpected and different. Danielle calls these defining moments. Something that just sticks in the mind and the memory of the person experiencing it. And as an event organizer, whether you're putting on a 500 person conference or you're putting on an intimate client dinner with 10 people, trying to figure out ways that you can introduce as many of those defining moments as possible should be an exercise that you undertake. As B2B marketers, we are accustomed to working across long sales cycles and short windows of sales opportunity, meaning that finding ways to stay top of mind and reducing the reliance on someone in the sales team picking up the phone and being in the right place at the right time to close a deal, that when a customer flips from being out of market to in market, they remember us. Maybe they don't remember the specifics of our service offering, but they remember us as a brand because of one of those defining moments should be a a metric or an objective that marketing teams are held against. In the context of an event like SaaS Open, This defining moment can be as simple as just putting on a really good spread. And that's actually something that the event organizers did do in New York. This wasn't just a bunch of crappy food trucks offering cold, stale sandwiches. It was a three-course buffet meal. And I can tell you as someone who spent the best part of two days on his feet talking to people, it was very, very appreciated. The the dinners were another one where we were like, this is kind of our bet that this is you know, something we're spending money on because we think it'll it'll pay off in terms of attendee experience. We wanted to have food because, and good food too. So we actually like taste at the venue before. We had worked with Convene before, so we didn't have to do that this time, but we knew that the quality was there and also being able to handle like different dietary restrictions and stuff. But it just, it does provide that elevated feel. It's not like You know, a lot of trade shows where they just have a couple, you know, food trucks or kind of stalls at a convention center or something. Um, So it's, it's playing into that elevated experience. As we look at wrapping up this episode of B2B Better, I wanted to take a moment to talk about the bad and the ugly, because so far it feels like we've talked a lot about the good. 
And I can tell you that as someone who's put on and organized events uh, for brands over the last kind of 10, 15 years I've been working in B2B marketing, there is a lot that can and probably will go wrong. So I put the question to Danielle as someone who's now had a little bit of distance from the show. I'm recording this, or we recorded this about three weeks after the uh, after the event wrapped up. What would you do differently next time? Here she is. I think one of the, the big things we want to kind of look to improve going forward are two of the major things is uh, kind of the comms before the event like really building hype. Sastock does a great job of this and like leveraging that content. We didn't do a lot of that to be entirely honest. And that was just a bandwidth issue. Um, that, but I really want to do that because it gets people excited about the event. It gets people, you know, more engaged beforehand and kind of really builds that hype around it. So we're going to be looking for some ways to do that. One of the bigger things that was really hard for us um, was we had, we ended up getting great sponsors um, and I'm really happy with how it turned out, but it was an uphill battle because we were technically a first year event. Um, it was right when everyone's marketing budget was getting cut was when we were really starting to ramp up sponsor sales. So like for me as a marketer, am I going to take a bet on this like really unsure thing? And like, you know how first time events can go, they can be pretty bad. Um, or a sure thing like a SaaS stock where I've gone the last three years, you know, it's relatively predictable. Like I'm going to put my budget behind that especially when I'm, you know, trying to keep my job. Um, so that was definitely challenging, but we got creative and um, I still think there's a lot of room for us to do a lot better next year. I'll be totally honest with you. After the pandemic proved that B2B marketers didn't need in-person events in order to continue hitting their goals, I had pretty much written them off as a tactic for lead generation and brand awareness. But having now attended half a dozen conferences this side of the pandemic, I am once again a firm believer. There's only so far you can go when it comes to building relationships online. And you can't beat the serendipity that comes with bumping into a new partner or a new customer at an in-person event. They are high risk, high reward. But if this interview with Danielle has taught you anything, it should be that you don't need an army or blockbuster budgets in order to create a real experience people care about and that's it for this episode of b2b better i do hope you enjoyed it if you did please leave a rating and a review in your podcast directory of choice apple spotify google amazon i'm on them all it is so appreciated also check out my website www.b2b-better.com where you can learn about my strategic marketing advisory firm and all the services i offer from fractional CMO work to marketing sprints to marketing audits and marketing mentorship and coaching. Have a marketing challenge that you seem to be stuck on. You can book a free, totally no strings attached consultancy call with myself. The link is in the description of this episode. You can book it. It's on Calendly. It takes two seconds. Or you can email me, jason at b2b-better.com. I would just love to hear from you, what you think about the podcast, anything that I'm not talking about, I should be talking about, an episode that you loved, a guest I should interview. I want to hear it all. I want to be connected with you. Speaking of which, you can find me on Twitter at Jason R. Bradwell or on LinkedIn, Jason Bradwell. I've got the bright yellow profile picture. You can't miss me. See you next time.